Hey everyone, welcome back. We are excited you're here with us again. And we thought today we would dive a little deeper into the philosophy we started talking about last time and just kind of expound upon that based off of an article that I recently read and we were just talking about and enjoying. So we, at our office and through the worlds of chiropractic, we get these fantastic publications called Pathways. And in the winter 2019 in magazine, there was an article by the late Jeannie Ohm. And she shared some of her story and how they came into this philosophy that we're talking about, the above, down, inside, out. And I thought I would read a little bit and then talk about it because I loved these parts and how they made it really clear to me this, this idea that we're talking about. So I'll start just by quoting some from this article. So coming from the chiropractic vitalistic perspective gave us a unique advantage to our birthing choices. So this magazine, I should say, speaks a lot to motherhood and birth and raising families in a chiropractic model. So she's sharing some of her early experiences with birth. And maybe before we go too far, we haven't talked about what vitalism means. Joe, do you want to share? What vitalism is? Yeah, like when, when we talk about chiropractic and she's saying chiropractic and vitalistic perspective. So vitalism and mechanism are schools of thought that predate chiropractic. It, this is actually sort of a a debate that's gone on in healthcare since recorded history. This has been, there's been a constant sort of a battle or um, philosophical yeah, exchange. A, 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 uh, there's it's two different worldviews, it's two different ways of looking at the body and where health comes from particularly. And it's not that mechanism or vitalism it's not it's not that one is has all the answers necessarily or it renders the other one completely invalid which is kind of what makes it a complex and uh, age-old debate if you will but it's definitely um, it, it definitely shapes the way individuals as well as different types of health practitioners look at our bodies and how they work and where they come from, right? So, so mechanism is the one that is sort of the most easily understood, I think, because it's how the the the, uh, the Western medical model is predominantly oriented, and that is basically looking at the parts, right? And so the, the you're looking, so you're kind of looking at the at the human body like an automobile in a sense that you can um, you know take parts out put them in um, you know change them around and basically you know you could you could diagnose what part is malfunctioning and replace it 
and and uh, and of course it works quite well with machines, and it works with bodies to an extent as well. And so it, that's why it, it, it's not that it's invalid; it's just not the whole story, right? And so so this it's evident the mechanistic model and, and how it affects Western medicine is evident in the fact that when you go to a doctor, you know, first usually you see a general practitioner and then if the general practitioner can't quite determine exactly what's going on or at least, or, or maybe he's able to narrow it down to a certain system, organ, function in, in the body, then send you to a specialist, right? So medicine is very specialized in that you have different um, experts, if you will, in different body parts or different aspects of physiology and they're very, very specialized oftentimes in, in a certain thing, a certain body part, right? So you, you have uh, uh, um, no shortage of these specialists and certainly um, they're brilliant and it's good to have people that are super knowledgeable about certain parts of the body and can address issues as they come up with those parts of the body, right? So I don't want, I, I, I don't like to ever sound like, uh, you know, we're, I'm minimizing that or that I don't think it's uh, amazing and that these are... Right, or that it's not valuable because it is. It certainly is, right. Mm -hmm. The difference though is vitalism it acknowledges that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, meaning that um, you, you can reduce things down to a mechanical level only so far. Um, there's a life force that animates and controls and coordinates the action of all of it. And so when you look at chiropractic, when you look at homeopathy, when you look at uh, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and, and uh, other types of Chinese, Asian medicine, when you look at um, naturopath, uh, uh, oftentimes naturopathic medicine, um, you, there's a much more of a concerted acknowledgement of the inner harmony, the, the inner communication, the, the life expression of the individual over the, uh, the parts themselves. Because, that's, go ahead. I was going to say that's sort of the perfect lead-in to the next okay. section that she Proceed. shares. So, so, she, so Jeannie Ohm states, the major premise of chiropractic states that there is universal intelligence in all matter. In living matter, this intelligence is called innate intelligence. We took this premise seriously as it resonated with our own personal beliefs. When the choices for birthing came up, we deduced from this major premise that birthing, being a normal, age-old process, could be a natural one with no interventions. Through chiropractic, we were learning to trust the inherent wisdom of the body in all body processes, birth included. We adhered to the words of B.J. Palmer, the developer of chiropractic. Nature needs no help, just no interference. So she writes, they were trusting the intelligence of the life force in body function. And so here she goes into a little bit more of her own story, but I'd love to dig into this a bit more. So this nature needs no help, just no interference. 
that BJ Palmer stated. Of course, we just talked about sometimes we do need a little help. Emergency medicine is is really important. You know, we need we have those moments, but for regular everyday natural processes such as, you know, birth, fevers, um, sicknesses, uh, life, right? Life. When it talks about interference, my understanding, you know, he's talking from a chiropractic perspective, it's the expression of the nervous system and the connection to the connection to that bigger piece that we were talking about last week. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll give some examples and I don't, I don't remember uh, what examples we used last week. So I hope I'm not being redundant, but, um, I, I'm sure I spoke to the fact that traditional chiropractic, and I should differentiate that from how a lot of chiropractors practice, right? Because I think there's a, a lot of people see chiropractic when they have some sort of structural pain, particularly of the spine. Back pain is uh, is something like 80% of doctor visits across the board or, or, or musculoskeletal pain, particularly back pain. Um, so it's very, very common for people to engage a chiropractor when something hurts. And so, um, and, and there's certainly chiropractors that structure their practice in that way and that, you know, they're, they're mobilizing and manipulating the body to, uh, and maybe even using other modalities like heat and ice and um, physical therapy modalities of different kinds, uh, much like a physical therapist would in, a, in a, as an effort to treat and relieve the discomfort. Um, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's better than the contributing to the opioid epidemic, but it's, it's not necessarily like traditional chiropractic. It's not, your chiropractic has been about fostering and, and uh, facilitating this connection that we have within us. And we spoke about the, the connection between uh, man, the, the, the spiritual, and man, the, 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 the material, and how that happens through our nervous system. And there's a life force that flows that is, is hard to quantify, um, but uh, it, when it's absent, it's not hard to see the effect of it not being there. And, uh, and, when, it's, and when it returns, all kinds of good things can happen, right? So to, to put that in context, right? So um, like just some common examples. Uh, blood pressure, for example, right? Um, I can't tell you how often I and thousands of my colleagues on a regular basis see people who are taking medication for blood pressure. It's a very, very common reason that people are medicated as adults. And um, they find that they are able to reduce or eliminate their blood pressure medication as they're undergoing chiropractic care. And so it... But they didn't come to you for blood pressure. Well, nor am I treating, nor their, are you tre am yeah. I treating their hypertension. <laughs> right. However, if we can reduce stress in the body, if we're, if we're reducing pressure and stress on the nervous system, there's less tension, right, in the body. The body's working with a greater ease. And so something like high blood pressure, I'm just using that as an example, um, it, it certainly stands to reason that if there's less tension in the body, then we're less likely to need to be medicated for hypertension. Um, I, I 
can't tell you how many times I've had small children that uh, were dependent on antibiotics and, and tubes in their ears and things like that because they're getting um, ear infections on the regular and uh, they, are, they immediately improve under chiropractic care. Doesn't mean that, that I'm treating ear infections, no. It means that the body works better with less pressure on the nervous system, right? Um, the, so I, I certainly, um, I, I would never claim to, to treat that or anything else, but there's, there's a profound improvement in immune function. It's been demonstrated uh, with uh, chiropractic care. And so immune system functions better, the digestive system functions better, blood pressure stabilizes, normalizes, etc., etc. right? You mentioned fever, somebody has a fever. And um, it's certainly, a fever is, you could certainly make the argument for the benefits of fever. The body isn't doing that because the body is unintelligent. The body is, is, is intelligent, re, intelligently responding to the environment that it is encountering. So um, when the temperature of the body elevates, then uh, it, it facilitates uh, our, the activity of our white blood cells and, and, and their immune response. And it also makes the habitat less hospitable for uh, invading viruses, bacteria, etc. So um, the body's doing that in an intelligent way, right? So now uh, someone uh, is uh, coming to a chiropractor and maybe they're sick and have a fever and so um, what do we do? We, we check for interference and, and we make adjustments to allow the body to better express what it's already trying to do. Does, does that mean that I'm trying to lower the fever? No. Um, does that mean the fever goes down? Sometimes it goes down. Sometimes it might go up. Like I don't get to decide what the body needs to do. I'm just allowing it to better express what it's what it's trying to do. What it so, needs to do. So, yeah. that, so that gets back to that, that vitalism, that, that, that <clears throat> sort of core philosophy, meaning that, you know, if, if we just look at the fever by itself, and we say, oh, fever is bad, we got to lower that, right? So how many people pump their kids full of Tylenol every time their, their, uh, their temperature goes up a little bit, whereas, you know, really, you're, you're using chemicals now to suppress the body's um, natural response to the um, pathogens and to, the, to, to changes in the environment and internal environment, external environment, right? So, so now, um, you know, when it comes to like long-term health, I mean, have we done damage by, by suppressing our natural immune response every time it happens? That you can make an argument that, that yes, right? But on the other side of it, you can make an argument that, well, it, you know, a, a, a fever that's, that's um, out of control I mean, certainly that can, that can cause other problems as well. Uh, I would argue that that's much more rare than they would have you believe because the body's not going to intentionally do something that's, that's going to harm itself um, if it's functioning properly. Not when it's, yeah, not when it's functioning properly. Um, if there's interference and if the body's functioning properly, well, then, you know, then anything is possible. But, um, so uh, I would argue the best way that we could serve, at least the way I would serve that person, is to allow the best expression of their own intelligence that is possible in, in any situation, including that situation. Um, so that, that is uh, um, sort of a, a critical 
difference, a critical, so, so two different ways of looking at it, you know, so the, the looking at just the fever or looking at the, the, the individual as a whole, looking at um, the virus, the coronavirus, and, and choosing to, um, you know, wear a, a mask and to socially distance and isolate. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that those measures aren't appropriate for some people for some times, but I, I would argue that against the entire healthy population doing that as, as, a, as a way of mitigating this because it's, um, it's just not how our body is designed to function, right? So, 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 so one way of looking at it, you're looking at the virus as a thing and that we're just helpless petri dishes out there in the world waiting to, 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 to have this implanted in us. Or we're looking at, well, what could we do to mitigate this and, and look at the health of the individual? How could we make our, our bodies, our immune systems, our, our everything more robust and more responsive and more effective in the, the, it's our environments so that we're less likely to have complications when, if and when, and I would say everybody will eventually come in contact with this virus like we do with every virus. And like all viruses, um, you know, some people, they, they have like fairly mild symptoms that, that last for, for weeks. Some people respond very strongly and but they get over it in a couple of days. And, um, and then some people uh, obviously uh, have complications and, and uh, um, you know, could, could be very, very um, devastating to their health or even uh, kill them, right? And, and the difference is, is you know, the, those three different people were in three different places physiologically when they encountered the same uh, virus in nature and the, the response is, is measured by their, um, their body's effectiveness, their body's uh, ability to adapt and relate to the environment, right? So, Which in and of itself is wisdom, right? I mean, there's, there's a wisdom to, I mean, may, maybe sometimes the wisdom of our body doesn't give us the results that we want, but, there's, but the, the intelligence is reacting the way that it can Right. through what we've we've provided for so it. So taking a common cold, for example, um, which I think is less emotionally charged than the coronavirus, right? So, yeah. Because um, could, could the common cold potentially kill somebody who had a lot of underlying conditions? Yes, mm -hmm. it does all the time. Um, is it uh, a, a, a non-event for most people? Yeah. Does it suck though? Yeah, right? Uh, but I would argue, you know, somebody who actually has a strong immune response to the common cold is, is more likely to have, you have to be miserable, um, but for a shorter period of time. And so what do I mean? I mean like the, the, uh, the fever, the chills, the aches, the pains, the, the runny nose, the sneezing, the coughing, the, the snot, the, all this stuff, right? That's so unpleasant for us is um, actually our immune response, right? That's our bodies reacting to and purging us from, and, and, and uh, uh, um, you know, there, there, there's a detoxification that happens with that in, in the body, and um, and the more effectively and efficiently we can do that, 
uh, the faster the, the event is over, right? And then I also know people that are kind of like, you know, they're not the healthiest people and they're just kind of snotty all winter long, right? And, and uh, so they, they may not have as strong of a response, but, they're, uh, but they don't ever really um, get rid of it either. They just have sort of a low-grade response that takes forever and they're just kind of miserable all the time. But, you know, maybe they don't have, you know, the, the type of response that uh, I would argue is a healthier response, which may put you down for a day or two. You may, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you might find yourself, uh, which is, is good. Like you, you get some rest, you lay down. I mean, it's not, it's not practical for most adults, but it is, uh, uh, it is good. And I mean, and we know it sort of intuitively with kids, like you give them a day off from school and you let them rest and you keep them hydrated. And, and uh, usually they, they get over it very quickly if they're healthy. Um, it's just, the, the challenge is, 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 uh, you know, nobody wants to be convenienced by it like that, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so that that's uh, that's kind of the deal. Uh, I, but the idea that we could avoid the common cold by um, staying indoors and wearing masks all the time—I mean, you could avoid it to, for a while, maybe. But um, I don't think you could avoid it or any other virus forever because that's just the, the the nature of things. You know, I mean, it's well. And what's happening to the the other parts of the puzzle? Like this is where this is where I think vitalism. And what we talk about, you know, it's meaningful to me because we're looking at the big picture, like hiding in fear. Like, what is it doing psychologically to us, mm. right? Like, what, what are we doing to be living in fear? What are we doing to our immune systems just to be in a state of fear, um, you know, concerned about this? Because we, we don't, for the most part, talk about or understand how our, how our bodies work um, and how... I mean, there's so much we don't know about how the world works, like, but there, there's a difference between being afraid of it and being and trusting it and taking the time it takes for you to find the answers you might be looking for. So like I'm, I'm making the jump here from the common cold to just, just any sort of health issue that we might be going to. Um, our our body, I think, is continually communicating with us via different symptoms or or the way we feel or our emotions and things like that. And if we can take the time, if we're willing to take the time to listen and learn from that and realize there is a reason for those things as opposed to just like, oh, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Let me take this and let me try to get back to work or, uh, you know, our society is not set up for that as well. I realize it's it's probably more of a luxury to be able to take that time, but it's also, that's where you get the true holistic healing. It's where you get to the root of the the, the cause of the problem instead of mechani mechanistically like looking at the parts, right? So, um... Before we get too far in the weeds, so I think that was that was good in terms of. So I think um, you know, we we kind of drove home the the vitalism as a uh, as a window to look through, right? Yeah. But our original topic was uh, was birth here, right? Was well, birth. I mean, I so she's using birth as a. Well, I, I mean, I find it to be a window into these other topics, but yes, there is more about well, birth, which I think is... The, I take care of pregnant moms in my practice happens to be one of my most favorite things about 
chiropractic. And, um, and which I learned from Jeannie Ohm, the author of the article, passed away last year, a very, very tragic loss for our profession. But um, she was a, uh, a, a, a instructor um, for the Webster technique, how I originally learned from her. And I think we did talk about that a little bit last time mm -hmm. like, because it was transformational in how I looked at how uh, chiropractic, uh, you know, it, it made that switch in my head from mechanism to vitalism. And the, uh, the Webster technique is, is a magnificent technique that is uh, a way of adjusting the mom that allows a better expression of the birth process itself. So it's, it's a very gentle, very simple adjustment to the sacrum and um, the uterus is attached to the sacrum. Lots of moms will, because of the unique stresses on the body uh, of being a pregnant woman, um, will experience um, pelvic and um, lower back, like sacral, uh, sacroiliac pain of different kinds. And, and you know, this helps to bring that into balance, but it also, in so doing, it helps the, the, uh, to keep the, the muscles of the pelvic floor, the, the, the uterus itself, um, you know, it's balanced in, in, in a way that uh, it's so effective that a, a baby that's breech will almost always turn head down when they're supposed to um, when you when you get this adjustment, right? So it's, uh, it's something like 87% effective, which blows everything else out of the water. There's nothing in, in all of obstetrics or medicine that will uh, help a, a, a breech baby turn head down um, anymore. You know, I think the best they got is about 25% or something like that in terms of like doing manual versions, which are kind of brutal and all that. This is not that, but again, when we do the Webster technique, it's not a baby turning technique. It's a right. very specific analysis and adjustment that's, that's unique and, and, and very germane to the stresses that pregnant moms are under in their bodies and which uh, just allows the body to do what it's supposed to do. But we, uh, we have people on a regular basis, there's a database, I'm on the database, that will um, call because they're, uh, they're, they're scheduled for a C-section because they're breech and um, you know we'll see them for uh, you know usually a, a series of adjustments, and they will usually um, the baby will turn head down um, right away. It's magnificent. And that gets back to B.J. Palmer's "Nature needs no help, just no interference." Just That's no really interference. just allowing the body to be in a better position. What's the what's the database in case anyone's listening and wants to? Is that uh, uh, the well, ICPA? The ICPA website, I believe. So it's... Um, That's ICPA4, the number 4, kids.org, I believe. I think right? that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's probably on that publication right there. I could probably look for it. I'll post it in the notes so we have that too. So, so as you were talking, I was kind of reading ahead to the other paragraph that I wanted to read. So... Genium goes into their own choice for home birth, and, and Joe and I have experience with both home birth and the complete other end of the, the spectrum of all the, you know, 
you know, pretty much as much hospital as all you the, can get. All the technology <laughs> you can have. Which is why I feel like we're very blessed from that perspective because that's why we come from that, that place of like, listen, we know that the mechanical and that piece of things is important. It saved our youngest son's life. Um, so we, uh, my son who is now almost to be eight, he was born at home with a midwife and my other son decided he wanted a whole different story. Um, but again, I would still, I would still argue even though we had to, we had to go into the hospitals and we could not do things naturally as we had, there was an incredible wisdom that I tapped into and that I feel like he was tapped into, that we listened to, that we were able to work with the doctors and the nurses and, um, you know, he came very, very early, but there was a, there was a wisdom there. There was a reason he was coming early. We found out, um, you know, that there was an infection that he was uh, potentially in harm, could have been harmed by. And so while coming early was not ideal, it was what allowed him to ultimately survive through a lot of help from the medical world. But anyway, that seems like maybe a story for a different day. But just, you know, we have this perspective that kind of we're blessed by both experiences because it really opened our eyes to to all of that, but I still well, feel I have third experiences. You have a third experience as well, yes, which was uh, more similar to the home birth, right? But in a in a birthing center. in a birthing center, but with more intervention than we would have liked. Yeah, so you know, and all of this is, I feel like it's, gosh, we could talk probably just you know episodes and episodes on on home birth itself and and the amazing the amazingness of it, and there's a great. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get the quote right, but Ina Mae Gaskin has a quote, like basically the biggest, the biggest secret is that, you know, women are powerful, that, you know, that we, we have this amazing gift, um, and ability that we're, we're not ever really told about in our society. Um, but anyway, so Jeannie Ohm talks about their, their journey into how they decided to, to look for and, and have their first child's um, unattended home birth. And then this first sentence, as I was reading it, I was like, this could really apply to a lot, not just birth, but a lot right now. So I'll read it and you can infer what you will. But we were not being reckless, as some tried to label us, or rebellious, as others accused. We were simply deducing that if there was a universal intelligence in all matter and an innate intelligence in all living matter, the wisdom of the ages would direct birth through me as it had for all women prior for thousands of years. We did not view birth as a disease. Rather, from the chiropractic perspective and very contrary to the allopathic model, we did not consider any body function abnormal. This is what we were talking about before, right? even those labeled as conditions and diseases. From our perspective, a fever was a normal body function, not a pathology to be treated. So was an ear infection, a cold, the flu, etc. While most people in our culture were being indoctrinated by commercials from drug companies frightening them about the various conditions we, 
about the various conditions, we were learning that these quote-unquote conditions were normal body adaptations whose symptoms were not sickness, but rather part of the healing process. From this perspective, we faced these adaptive body functions with confidence, not fear. And I think that's why I love this paragraph so much is because that confidence, not fear, is why I want to share what we talk about and what we're learning about and what we get excited about. Because to be able to face, especially right now, right, all of the crazy things going on in the world, to be able to face these things with confidence over fear is so vital. It's so freeing to be in a state, and I'm not saying that we're there all the time. Certainly I have fears and certainly things uh, affect us, but overall we can always come back to this confidence and this confidence in the wisdom of our bodies, this confidence in the wisdom of um, the, the earth and the universe in its grandest design. Um, I feel like this is part of what I tap into when I start to feel those fears and realize I can, I have a choice. I can connect with that confidence and I can, because of our philosophy and because of all the ways that we have seen it expressed, whether from the simplicity of a cold to the miracle of birth, we have we continually see that wisdom playing out, right? And so it becomes a practice in trust. <laughs> and it becomes a practice in knowing that there is a, an intelligence behind things and that we don't have to fear all of these pieces. And this is really, I mean, when we, I could not think of a, a better way to empower our, and raise our family like this, or, or, or how a better way to share this with others is to help move more people into confidence over fear. I think you, you touched on something there uh, regarding birth and, and women, but I would say in, in, across the board, we're all more powerful than we've been led to believe. We have more control over um, our expression of health than they would have us believe, right? I mean, uh, how many, uh, you've mentioned, I mean, drug commercials and all this stuff and, and uh, ask your doctor if this is right for you and, and you hear about a neighbor or a family member or somebody, uh, you know, gets, some sort of horrible something and you know the tendency is to think geez I hope I never get that right like everybody hopes they never get that and, and you know we'll probably all will get something at some point but but the idea or the the um, the window we keep saying coming back to that that you look through is what makes the difference in terms of um, you know do I do I choose to to you live in fear of when you know that, that thing is going to get me, or do I choose to exercise the power that I do have in terms of uh, promoting health 
in myself and in, in our family, right? And, um, and that is, I think, a much more empowering way to look at life and to, and you know, and, and we all have moments, um, you know, we get hurt, we get sick, we get whatever we get, but you know, looking for the lessons in that, as you said, as opposed to, you know, feeling like a victim or feeling like the symptom is, is a thing that must be suppressed instead of you know, learning from it and, and getting stronger from it and because of it and um, you know, moving forward as a better version of, of ourselves instead of um, a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I hesitated when you said the word control earlier because I think there's a lot that we can't, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that we can't control necessarily. But to, to realize that we have choice and in how we react to things. Right. Well, we also and have, we choice, have we choice choices and, all the time. Right. And, choices. And all those it, choices have consequences. Right. All, all choices always have consequences. Yeah. But it's certainly like, you know, that, that's, a, that's a charged word because, you know, stuff, like you said, stuff happens to all of us. But then, you know, you did, you, you went there when you talked about, you know, we have these these choices on a daily basis that we can make that that put us in a better position so when it comes to anything that we might be facing right like whether it's whether we're looking at options of home birth or whether we are um you know whether we're looking at supporting our immune system or um, facing choices in our emotional health or, you know, how do we, how do we want to raise our family? How do we want to educate our kids? How do we want to do all of these things to know that, um, if we're having those thoughts, we can, we can learn and explore and there are options out there aside from, Aside from the most commonly known ones, and sometimes those are the most exciting and the most freeing. It's going. Mhm. Mm so I guess as we kind of wrap up today, I'd think about, you know, if there's one thing that if you're exploring these ideas and you're exploring these topics and, you know, to, to realize that we can live in confidence more often than fear. We can reject that fear. And like you said, look for the lessons and realize that there is another perspective. It's not a very well-known perspective, but that's why we want to share it. Um, that is much more empowering than what is commonly shared and talked about in mainstream. It feels good to eat well. Mm -hmm. It feels good to exercise. It mm -hmm. feels good to get adjusted. I don't know how people live without that, really. Right. <laughs> I um, don't. And I think you know, these things feel good because, because they support 
our, our health, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know, I, they, I think that all that being said, like, I, you know, somebody goes on a diet because they're trying to drop a few pounds or somebody goes, uh, they exercise because they, they want to look better naked or somebody, uh, you know, gets adjusted because their back hurts and they don't want to hurt anymore, you know, I mean, none of those things are wrong, right? But it was a very superficial sort of um, symptom-oriented, you know, you know treatment-oriented. Well, and often they're not going to be sustainable. And they're not sustainable. They're not. The lifestyle piece that... Or the growth, you know, the growth aspect. I actually... There are so many parts of this um, conversation that made me think, and I'll bring it for another conversation, is uh, Thomas Troward's The Hidden Power. And so that... He, in this... In one of the sections that I've been studying called entering into the spirit of it. He actually talks about the mechanical versus the spiritual, the spirit, right? And so it takes this, these concepts to a, a whole different level and a whole different realization. But knowing that, you know, we often, if we're, if we're sort of going at these things for more short-term, like we might not think of them as short-term gain, but if we're looking at it simply like, like you said, more of the superficial aspects, they're hard to sustain because we haven't, we haven't entered into the spiritual side. We haven't gone into the vitalistic perspective of like, who do I want to become out of those changes? And this probably will spur a whole other podcast, so we should probably stop right now. But um, there's a, there's so much there to really uncover and think about in how opening yourself up to these, these thoughts and ideas and even going down the road of, like we, we mentioned it a few times, like when we, when we have like a health challenge that we might be dealing with, that challenge, if we're open to it, can transform us in many different ways, not just physically, but there's all kinds of other opportunities there as well. For sure. Yeah. So, and this is hard, you know, it's hard. I don't want to be simplistic about all of this. Everyone has unique obstacles and unique um, pieces to this, but there is, um, again, there's an empowering way of looking at them, an empowering way of coming through them with confidence over fear. And that's really the whole point. I think there's nothing else to be said. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.